Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Um, we're rocking and we're rolling. Hello and welcome to Jokes with Mark Simmons, the podcast where I chat to another comedian about jokes they can't get to work. Joel's here. I'm here. Hi, Joel. Hello. How's it going? I'm very, I'm very well. We have had a top, top week for this podcast. It's, what a week! What, a mega what, week. Uh, well, we've had a mega three weeks. Yeah, but this week, in particular, we it, it's uh, what's the word? It's captivated. The nation. The, na- the nation, yeah. yeah. It's captivated the nation. Gary Delaney, live episode. Uh, people love it. They're going mad for it. Actually, no, genuinely, they yeah. are. Like, <laughs> we've had loads of feedback, like yeah. too much for me to go through, if I'm honest. I um, saw someone tweeting you yesterday that they're taking up comedy now after listening to it. What? You tweeted someone, you said thanks. He said, oh, even for a non-comic, it's great to listen to and then you said thanks and then he replied to that that he'd bought some sort of book about starting as a stand-up you're inspiring people to become comedians uh you definitely have not looked at that carefully enough joe oh no what is it (laughs) that was um well we cut this out i guess no 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 it's brilliant that you said that so basically you you didn't remember what happened in the podcast so in the podcast gary delaney was talking about buying a book yeah which is Rolf Harris's jokes oh, for kids. Oh, no. And that link that he put up yeah. was a link to that book that said oh. currently unavailable. Oh. And then he was making a joke saying currently, oh. like like it's going to be available yeah. at oh, some I point. It was, so I, I know. Thought, I thought you'd but it was exciting. I think we probably do. Ex- yeah. Yeah, we, I think we... No, no, we definitely... Tweet I, us. I, I'd say <laughs> all the comedy in the next 20 years is thanks to us. Mm. So hopefully You're it's good. <laughs> Britain. <laughs> Um, I uh, people I used to work for they I used to work at a wedding venue yes um, in Kent yes and the people that owned it yes. as almost like a retirement plan bought some original Rolf Harris paintings did they mm. what so I'm guessing before yeah they were yeah stuff. not on the cheap yeah and it was expensive yeah they were ten like tens of thousands of pounds what and mm. now I don't know I always wonder now. If they've like, got no value. Is he more famous now? Yeah, or is there like a certain type of collector? Oh, I always no. wonder. I always wonder. Yeah. I bet there are people that collect art of bad people. Um, <laughs> tweet us. This sounds like a podcast. <laughs> tweet us. Do you collect art of evil so Who else? Yeah, but hang on. Hitler one, went to one. art school, mate. Hitler famously went to art school. Okay, but that was just answer the question I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, Maybe like some sort of sign but, but there, there aren't many evil people that are artists, are there? So, so you—I mean—you nailed the first one, the yeah. second one, both of them. 
Yeah. Who else? That's enough to get on with. Neil Buchanan. Adolf. Rolf. Neil Buchanan. Yeah, is Neil Buchanan doing something? Neil Buchanan was like into like. Isn't he like in a metal band or something? I don't know. Yeah, no. Neil Buchanan's a good guy. No. It's Gary Glitter. Uh, well, yeah, pro- well, yeah. Well, he's a, a musical musician. artist, but yeah. I mean, like, so you're not, you can't, not going to buy one of his. There's got to be loads. There's got to be loads. Is there? Yeah. Are you one of these connectors, Joel? Uh, don't look at my walls. <laughs> Cut this bit out. Yeah. Um, good though. That's interesting. So <laughs> good. So great. Brilliant. Lovely stuff from last. Thank. Hello to all the new listeners. Yes. Hello. Because we've got loads of new listeners. Loads. Stick around. And if you stick around, check out the uh, archive. Nearly fifty episodes in that archive. Fifty bloody episodes yeah. of gold. Um. What was I going to say, Joel? Before you said something. Feedback. Feedback. Oh, if you're enjoying the podcast. Go if you could go to iTunes and leave us a five star review. Yeah, that'd be lovely. That would be lovely because and it's really useful. There's no way of reviewing on the other platforms. No. So maybe send Mark a tweet. Oh yeah, at which is five stars in it. At jokes with Mark. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Anything else you want to talk about, Joel? No. No. So we go on to this week. Yeah. This week. Yeah. Oliver Double. Woo. Yeah, yeah. So Doctor Oliver Double. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he teaches uh, comedy. He's, well, he teaches drama. He's head of drama at University of Kent. And I used to work at University of Kent. Mm-hmm. So I sort of knew him through that. Yeah. And then he had a lot. I used to do a master's. You, you hear all about this in the podcast. Um, and I knew some of the people that came through his degree. Yeah, some impressive alum. Nye. Yeah. I can also say alum, I think. Nye. Alumnus. Nye. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is a little bit different. A little bit different, this one. Did you like it, Joel? I liked it. Yeah. I found it it's, informative. It, it, interesting. it was interesting. It was interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the first bit is t- just talking about it's kind of the teaching of comedy a little bit and his history because he was a comedian in the 80s. Yeah. And then uh, we chat about his stuff a bit towards the end. Yeah. Which is very nice. Nice structure to the to the Lovely episodes. structure. Yeah. Very nice man. Um, anything else? Oh, and to, oh, by the way, when we were recording, we were sort of in this t- like weird little area. I, did, I wondered end, if you Did you, were you notice flag I started it. whispering? Started whispering yeah. yeah. But I quite liked that. Did you? it was like, I started. too sexy. Started, se- was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I don't find myself sexy. Oh, okay. well. Or not, well, you know. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so, so I started whispering because yeah. there was a show started in the yeah. room next door. Yeah. But I thought it added a little bit of gravitas to the, to the whole Maybe podcast. I might whisper every so often okay. because you do sort of lean in a bit and you're like, oh, this is mm. this must be interesting yeah. because he's whispering it yeah. like no one else is supposed like to know. It's a comedy secret. It's a little comedy secret. Don't enjoy it. So you said, so literally today you did a lesson with so like brand new students yeah so we're doing a project on 1980s alternative cabaret right oh. which is amazing for them because their parents were probably children oh, in no, the 80s now that's you make me feel so old i know i'm literally me. literally i could be their their parents now yes a brand new student i'd be 16 yeah i think yes yeah. that kills me that's really scary <laughs> what i find as well is that it's really hard to it's really hard to keep up with their cultural references because they don't know things. They don't know Stuart Lee. They've never heard of. Literally, no. have no idea who that is. <laughs> um, they've never heard of Have I Got News For You. No, you were saying Paul Merton. Paul Merton. They don't know who Paul Merton is. But how uh, do they... It's so weird, isn't it? But then I, I was talking to... I think I was... Who was it? I was talking to an impressionist comedian and I think the effect of having so many channels now... Yeah. Is they're not... Their parents aren't sitting watching Have I Got News For You. So then... 
they don't because that's how I watched it because yeah, I think my absolutely. brother was watching it yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or something yeah I think I think television's not such a family occasion anymore is it so no. what happens then is that everybody's off on their own screen like maybe on their phone or on a laptop or something like that right and uh, and I think you know you're more likely to hit gold mentioning a specific YouTube clip than <laughs> a, a kind of institution of British televisual comedy <laughs> yeah I, like so, so the one you did today, that was that, that was yeah, so specific would, stand-up today? Yeah, so what they were doing was, uh, in previous... Like, last week, they did uh, double acts, um, oh, okay. and then next week, they'll do kind of musical acts. So they're studying them, or, or they're doing it themselves? Yeah, both. So, oh, so wow. they're looking at, at historical footage, they're looking at historical documents, and using that as inspiration to create their own thing. Oh. Right. Um, so I don't actually I don't expect like huge things from them because it's really throwing them in at the deep end. They haven't yeah. they haven't studied stand up in any depth, and they haven't been given like masses of kind of instruction on how it works or structures and things. Um, but what you find is some of them work really hard at their material, and you go, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. doing meta stuff. You know, they're. Um, I mean, there's a, there was a guy to actually probably shouldn't mention individual students, but there was somebody <laughs> today who was incredibly imaginative oh, right. and he had a whole thing about how his mum was under the stage and he kept talking to her, but it was playing oh, cool. on the idea that we knew that she wasn't actually there. Yeah. And, um, uh, and it, he was really, really good. And it was also really apt for that style, that 80s style, like the alternative comedy style. Uh, whereas other people, uh, I mean, everybody did okay because the thing about drama, drama student is they're good at standing up in front of people. Of course, yeah, that's half the battle. In that the is half place. the battle. But what they sometimes do is want to rely on that, right? Apart yeah. rather than I need some structures which are right. going which I can rely on yeah, if yeah. my inspiration doesn't yeah, kind yeah. of. Uh, of course. I think it's very easy to watch something like Live at the Apollo and sort of, you know, it just seems like there's a, there's a, a man or a woman talking about their life and they're so naturally, magically funny yeah. that, that even though they're just talking about their life quite off the cuff, yeah. that, um, you know, that, uh, that there's no technique to it. And I think, you know, obviously that's... Yeah, it's quite naive. I tell you, the amount of people that come up to me when they find out I'm a stand-up and say, "So do you like do you like do different stuff every time?" Yeah, yeah, or yeah. It's like, like oh, you yeah. have no idea. Yeah, I remember back in the eighties, so somebody naive. saying about Jeremy Hardy, going, "Oh, I really like Jeremy Hardy, but I saw him three weeks ago and he was really good, and then I saw him last night and he did the same material." <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that is how it works. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that people do think that. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I suppose one of the things is that that stand-up has a. It's like a. Uh, it's like a pretense, isn't it? That it's just a conversation. Yeah, you yeah. play it like it's just off the cuff, mm. like you didn't put any effort into it, kind of thing. Whereas with my stuff, I think because it's one-liners, it's so clear it is to me. It's so clear that it is just jokes. Yeah, like it's imp- it would be impossible just to just to reel those off yeah. off the top of your head. Yeah, yet, yet people still think that is what I do. That's amazing, isn't it? Because it's odd. I think that one-liners is the most demanding style of writing in stand-up. It's very stressful writing an hour every year. You, you've got to write. Like, basically, it resets every 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, as soon as Edinburgh's... But no, not even as soon as Edinburgh's finished. While I'm in Edinburgh with my show, I start writing for next year and then going to do new material bits in Edinburgh because I, I know I won't write enough unless I go straight on to it. I think there are other demanding things as well about one-liners. One is that is how do you remember all that stuff? Because if you if you're doing anecdotes and things, you know, you could make. Mm. I mean, I saw Phil Jupiter's and he did 
an hour on three anecdotes and it was really brilliant hour so jealous of that i know right but it's three <laughs> anecdotes and obviously there's things to remember within those yeah yeah but it's three bits whereas yours yeah. is like what for an it's hour constantly it's... oh i don't know it depends sometimes i do some weirder bits in the middle yeah but uh at least at least 150 jokes but oh, but it's insane but that's the low end whereas someone like tim vine i think would do over two three hundred because he's so quick i take my time more with yeah, him, yeah, so. yeah 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 and yeah. the other thing is it's that thing as well of the one-liner style being quite demanding on the audience after a while mm. so yes. so i mean you doing those things in the middle presumably that resets the audience yeah so i i tend to do things fairly quick so so a lot so you get a lot of one-liner comics after sort of 15 minutes they'll do something to, to break it up yeah yeah but i i just work what works better for me is i do two or three minutes of jokes and then do something slightly different yeah and then come back and i find that just resets them every time and that works well for me but that's quite interesting that's that's quite organic then it must yeah. feel like less of and now the break yeah 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 and i i just and also because the thing i do in between isn't necessarily you don't really know what I'm doing until later in the show, but oh. they're so relieved that I've, I've stopped jokes for a while. Yeah. That they're absolutely fine with it. They don't question it. They're like, oh, this is something a bit different. Oh, we're back to jokes. Jokes, jokes, yeah. jokes, 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 jokes. Ah, oh, something different. Joke, 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 joke. Whereas if you do, because even me, when I go and watch any of the great one-liner comics, I love it, but it, after 10 minutes, I still, my I start to wander. Like my eyes, I my mind, because I, I can't focus on... I think that's why I do one-liners because it's so short. It's yeah. I don't get bored. Yeah, yeah. But when you watch it, I, like I like it when those little bits come in between. Just to, yeah, so it just, keeps you sharp as well. Yeah, I just call it resetting. Yeah. And sometimes those bits are my favourite bits. Yeah. Like I do some weird. My favourite bit I've ever done, and this was in a show a few years ago. Uh, I literally, I get a notepad out and I say, oh, I'd, I'd like to sort of know who we got in. So I go up to. So there's one person in the audience. I go, How old are you? And then write their age down. How old are you? Write their age down. How old are you? Write their age down. And I go through everyone doing that. And the audience was like, this is weird. What's he doing? And I did it. I actually once did it to 150 people <laughs> in a preview. I don't normally go that far, but <laughs> I wanted to amazing. test it. And the, the commitment. Yeah. And the punchline at the end was, sorry about that. I was taking ages. <laughs> right. And I've that seen was, you do that. That is one of my, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really yes, good YouTube. bit. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite bits I've ever done because there's so much commitment to one stupid joke. Yeah, yeah. And I found, this is quite interesting, I found that if you have to, re obviously you have to go for quite a long time so the ages part of the joke works. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be taking ages. Yeah. But I found the longer you go, the bigger the laugh because they're, yeah. they're almost laughing at your commitment to such yeah. a, such a, just one silly line. Yeah. Which is odd, but that, but they, when, when I've just done, I don't know, 20 minutes of one-liners, yeah. they allow that. They're just like, oh, this is a bit of a break from what they've been, they've been seeing. Yeah. It's almost like I mean you're interviewing me now. Yeah, uh, yeah sorry. <laughs> it's great, it's great. It's, it's force of habit. But, but they're those things I like doing. Yeah, I like those kind of um, No, I really like I really like I mean I remember when Tim Vine in the nineties when when I when I first started seeing him, uh he, he did this thing about I have here proof that I used to share a flat with Adolf Hitler and he would have like a <laughs> stupid like like audio gag just on a tape but he'd hold up to the microphone and then that was a running gag through the thing and it was right. a really nice way, even in twenty minutes, of breaking up. Oh, that's the same sort of thing then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I really like that stuff. And it's also, again, like most people probably be quite surprised, but people who are not interested in comedy anyway, they're quite surprised that it's not just a bunch of jokes. There's a whole craft to it. Yeah, 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 of course. All right, when you're teaching stand-up, yeah. so are you... Are you, so you're, are you just pre you're presenting different options well, and then they well, find their own... Well, yeah, I also do a third-year module uh, 
on stand-up where they start by actually analysing stand-up. So they'll they'll be set to read some comic theory, you know, going mm-hmm. right back to Aristotle and things. And then they'll be set like a clip that they've got to, to watch or listen to. And they've got to sort of like apply that theory to that thing to sort of see how valid it is, see how it helps them to understand it. Okay. Or they might do some, they might look at some objects from the stand-up archive and then it's like, okay, well, what, you know, how do you, how do you use this material to sort of contextualise this clip or something? But then what happens is it's quite nice because like talk about reset, uh, after five weeks of doing um, sort of like seminar lecture stuff, we switch and they start doing practical workshops. And then what I do is I always start with um, a uh, get them to start with an anecdote. And although they might not all do anecdotes, like mm. eventually, an anecdote is quite good because they've already thought about structure. If it's something they've said before and it's made their friends laugh, okay. there's already uh, some structure uh, to it. That's a nice starting point as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another Has thing it- I do is just get them up in front of an audience well, in front of their, the rest of the class, if configured as an audience, and just get them talking to them, having a conversation with... with, with because of what, uh, what you start to notice is, okay, well, what's, what's unusual about you as a person? Mm. Like, suddenly you suddenly notice that somebody's a lot posher than you realised, or, mm. you know, that they've got, I don't know, an accent that you didn't notice, or they have quite flamboyant gestures or something. Mm. And then you could use that to, to, as, as a sort of starting point of what they want, might want their comedy to be about. Yeah. And then there's another thing where I kind of give them subjects and they have to talk about subjects, which are quite random. Some of them are serious, some of them are kind of trivial. And it, it really what you try to get them to think about, okay, what is my view of the world then? And then when, when you got them to talk about that, would that you just say, here's a topic, just talk? Or would you, they go off and work Normally I'd give bit? them that the week before so they would go and work ah, on that okay. and then come in yeah. sort of thing. I have done it before where you just you have to busk off it. But I think it's a good idea to get them into the, the idea that you, you have to actually work at this stuff. Yeah. And do you go into detail with about jokes, as in how how jokes work? When you I mean, it's, right. Here's my dilemma: what you don't want to do is to be completely formulaic and make everybody come out the same. Because yeah. I know that some people say that about comedy courses. That there are can, some that you yeah. can, you can go. Yeah, that's from that course. But also, I think that you you know your best resource in a way as a comedian is okay, well, what's making you different from the next person? Mm. You know, so what's your life experience? What's your creative taste? What sense of humour have you got? What are your opinions? All of those things. Okay. And I think if you have a too fixed a formula, then uh, you then you, you risk sort of ironing off all those interesting edges. Yeah. But, so it's quite robotic. Yeah, quite robotic. But I think the problem is, I, I used to not even tell them about the rule of three because I was like, oh, it's too much of a formula. But now yeah. I kind of think, well, actually there's a million ways of using the, the, the yes. rule of three. Yeah, so yeah. tell them the structures. And, and so the structures come... But in everything as well, films. Like, absolutely. I've, I've, I see them all everywhere now. That's the thing. And once you've seen them, you can't unsee them. Yeah. So you start to notice other people's technique, which doesn't, I don't think, you know, there's that old corny thing that I think E.B. White said, uh, analysing comedy is like dissecting a frog. You don't learn anything and the frog dies, right? <laughs> you, you heard that? No, so the no. idea is that people go, people go, oh, you know, it's not funny to analyse comedy. No, it's not It's not scary to analyse horror, but people still do it, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that, um, I think, I think uh, you know, I, I don't think understanding how something works stops your appreciation of the craft of it. I think if anything, mm. it makes you have a keener appreciation. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't stop you enjoying it either. I love stand-up more than I did before I started studying it, which okay. is a long time ago. How did that happen? Oh, well, I, I was... Okay, so back in the 80s, I was studying drama at Exeter University, and it was a very kind of avant-garde kind of course. You know, we learned... 
you know, physical theatre techniques from the Polish practitioner Jerzy Grotowski and things like mm. this. But it was quite it was quite broad ranging as well, and it, it really encouraged you to to feel able to do your own thing, mm. right? So uh, around the same time, there were a bunch. I, I think Saturday Live just started around that time. Okay, and it was which was you know a show. Ben Elton. Yeah, Ben Elton. Right. Yeah, well okay. he. He, he, he compared the second series with the resident comedian on the first. They had different compares for the first ah, okay. series. And then they liked him. And they liked him. And so mm. they, he became the thing. But I think, I think and I'd, be, I'd been aware of alternative comedy because I'd been a huge fan of the young ones. And I read about it in mum and dad's newspaper, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I was interested in it. And then I went to see a thing called the Chaotic Cabaret at the, it wasn't even called a, <laughs> it wasn't even called a student union. It was called the Guild of Students, right? Because mm-hmm. they were pretentious. <laughs> and uh, they did this thing where basically people paid 20p to get in and anybody could get up and perform. And you got- 20p? You didn't have to pay to perform. That was for the punters. Yeah. Yeah. But also if you're performing, you got a can of beer. Right. Oh. So the first time I went, I'd never seen anything like stand up. And it wasn't all stand up, but I'll tell you who was on. So uh, you were basically what your students are now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd never seen any live stand up. I'd probably seen it on the telly. I'd definitely seen it on the telly, but I'd never seen any live. And uh, I'll tell you who was on, uh, weirdly, was John O'Farrell, the novelist and comedy oh. writer. He was a student, well, he was a graduate there at the time. Oh. And he used to do this uh, skinhead character stand-up act, mm. which was funny. It had good material. And uh, and I really wanted to perform, but I didn't dare. But it was it was like, I was really into music at the time. And I thought, God, this is like being in a band, but you don't have to be able to play an instrument, <laughs> which is a bit of a cliche, but that's exactly how I felt about it. Yeah, it does have that sort of rock and roll sort of vibe. Yeah, it's that thing. doing of, something like no one else is doing. And, and playing straight out to the audience as yeah. well. Like not, it's it's not like a play where you, well, I mean, it does, depends on the theatre style, but in a lot of plays, you don't really pay too much attention to the audience. Mm. I thought it was amazingly exciting, but I didn't dare do anything. But the next time they did one, I did three bits. and that's how I started doing it really and I started doing a lot of kind of like there wasn't a comedy scene in Exeter but there were a lot of benefit gigs in this anarchist pub and that's where I used to go and do my stuff it was really hard because you'd be on with bands and people didn't really want to listen to comedy well now even now if there's music on the gig it's I know it's death yeah 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 Oh, but yeah, that's but, how I started out. But, but, but you hear that was a lot more common then because I've heard of great stand-ups opening. What's that? Oh, was, I heard a famous Tommy Cooper line. Oh, yeah. That's opened, a what band famous was, anecdote. What band, what band did he open for? It was uh, someone well, I've big. I've heard different versions of it. I think I've heard The Police, I think I've heard. Yeah. That it was The Police and Sting was supposed to be a big fan. I think, well, Max Wall definitely supported uh, Mott the Hoople on right. tour and Ian Deary at the Hammersmith Odeon as was in 1978 the height of Ian Deary's fame his support acts you know, it, was, it was his big gig on his mm. big tour at the time when he was first like really big and his support acts were a rockabilly band called Whirlwind a yeah. reggae band called Matumbi and Max Wall <laughs> wow yeah and apparently it, it, they didn't yeah they gave him a hard it was punk you know people, I mean, I people gave him a hard time I, I can't imagine it was working if they're not punk like I know but apparently what happened was that Deary came out and told the audience off for not being appreciative of Max Wall really and then they came back on and they gave him a, like a brilliant reception oh amazing that's a good story yeah because yeah. what the Tommy Cooper one I heard was he went on absolutely yeah. died, died and when he walked off he went up to the lead singer of whichever massive band it was I wish I could yeah. remember it might be it might be Sting but I feel like it might be someone else I don't know yeah and he just went follow that or something like yeah, that yeah follow that that's yeah. right but I think that might be one of those <laughs> apocryphal stories so there's probably different versions yeah 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 there's loads of those in comedy yeah funny about it's the gig we're doing tonight and doing that is really 
intro it's it's really fun I, the reason i wanted to do it when we start, start talking to matt and and blake who i do it with it, it because for a start when i was comparing students you you have you can't do anything mean about the acts even if that would be a saver for the rest of the thing, uh, yeah. because it would be absolutely abusing your position. Especially as your as your lecturer, you're the person they're looking up to. Absolutely, it would be unethical, <laughs> and also I don't think it would work anyway because you'd look like a, a tyrant of the worst type. Yeah, you'd yeah, look yeah. like Donald Trump or something. <laughs> and um, so you know, uh, but with this, it's different because I mean, it's not like I'd be mean about an act, but it's just I feel like I, could, I I don't have to justify everything I do in terms of setting things up well for the students. Mm. I can have fun with it. Because also you could be making a, a joke about an act, but with a student, they might they might take it just too personal. Absolutely. Whereas, whereas a, a normal comic be fine with well, it. Of course, they they'd find the funny in it. Like yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, completely. And what I'm trying to do is make the whole club feel like more than just a bunch of blokes coming on to talk into a microphone. Yeah. So we have a fanzine that we give out. We do a joke competition. We do, a d- well, we used to do a thing you where the audience- on the bill. Sorry, sorry have women on the bill. Have women on the bill. I mean, the novelty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually that's quite a serious point. We had the first all-male bill last show and that was not by design at all. We did female headliner pulled out. That uh, sort yeah. of thing is quite important to us. We do mm. want to be- yeah, You've got two, two, two of your students, female yeah. students on tonight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's another thing. What we want, what we want is because when they play to an audience of students, that's fine. But that's a home crowd. Yeah, it's really good if they can get experience mm. talking to a more general audience. And to be honest, it, it normally works well. Um, some of them struggle a bit, um, and actually, one of them it'll be her second ever stand-up gig. Wow! So, so it's out of interest. Yeah. So the because years ago when I was working yeah. on campus. You had a, a master, was it a master's in stand-up? Yeah. But you don't have that anymore. No, what, that was sort of killed by a couple of things, really. I mean, one was changing in uh, government policy on funding higher education because once the f- annual fees went to nine grand a year, uh, nobody wants to do an extra year in their degree. Right. Basically, that was, that was a huge, it, like it went from, I don't know, maybe 60 or 70 people signing up for that mm. to 27 to 17 in, yeah. in in three years wow um and so it because because basically it was an extended master's so they did three years of a degree and then an, a year of specialist study or mm. they could do it as standalone ma and what we hoped was we could we could as the the, the sort of extended master students disappeared we would build you know the market as it were it's a horrible way of looking at it but we'd build mm. the, the 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 cohort for doing a standalone ma as it happened, I mean, three reasons that are too boring to go into, that didn't happen. And eventually mm. we just went, this is not going to work. So now you just have it as elements in this it's an element drama. In a, yeah, it's an element in a drama degree. So it's not as easy, or I suppose it's not as common now for the students to then go off and do stand-up. It's not, because in when they did it for a year, they, I mean, literally... Yeah, some f- great comics come through it. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, absolutely. So yeah, Tom Horton was one, Jimmy McGee was one, Laura Lex, uh, Tin and Dewey Ebb, the, the, um, Sam from Noise Next Door, Robin from Boys Next, uh, Noise Next Door. So, you know, there were people, people who, and, and uh, um, there were others, I haven't mentioned I can't remember everybody I can but I just yeah, it's going to say ages but um, no it's a lot harder because they would when they were doing it for a year we would do a, a weekly comedy night and they would do 11 weeks on the trot mm. and different material different every material week. every time yeah I remember when because obviously I became friends with those comics because yeah. I was a comic and I worked on campus yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and I was just mind blown but they were, they were coming up with so much stuff every week like yeah I mean it was it was it was one of those things that it was sort of mixed blessing in a way because 
I think for those of who did, like, okay, Alex Smith, right? I don't oh, know if yeah. you know Alex. Yeah, I know Alex, yeah. So he did it really well, mm. right? Because what he did was he went, I'm going to work really hard every week on my material and I'm going to make my material as good as it can possibly be every week. And he went down quite well the first week, but he wasn't satisfied with that. Mm. And in fact, when he graduated, he started doing gigs and I was like, well, how's it going? And he said, I've just realised how much I've got to learn. Whereas I think mm. some of them were like, oh, it's really hard. And uh, why don't they like me? Like they like me in, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Whereas I think he had that ethos of, I'm going to try and do like, not just like do what I know is going to work for this audience. I'm going to try and make it the best it can possibly be. Yeah. And the same with actually most of those people, the same thing. I haven't seen Alex for a long time, but he was doing, wow. And But I don't, I, I don't know if he still kicks or he, I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. He, well, he did it really, really well when he came out. Yeah. And then I think, I don't know what happened after that, but he, one of the reasons that he was picked up by Avalon not long after graduating was because he had an hour of material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which very few people starting out do. And mm. it was viable material. It was proper kosher a, material that's a, it's a good start for when you're trying to turn over an hour every year so yeah to be able yeah so it's, definitely it's, it's great um but so so to say the students now are these just ones that did the one little element of the course and they went oh i like this and then they well yeah so they could do it in their second year whether it's the one element of the module and then they can go on and do it for a whole module in the in the third year and then there's also a stand-up society now ah. so there's some real keenies and there's some really interesting talented students who so you get some that aren't even on the drama uh, yeah i guess but, cool. but but um and also like like one of the acts on tonight actually graduated in the summer and she with her partner runs a monthly comedy night in canterbury uh oh. called sunday roast and it, oh, at the ballroom yeah Oh, so I put a photo about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's a really, I haven't managed to get there yet because I live in Whitstable, so it's a bit of a schlep mm. and it's a Sunday night, you know, so yeah. it, I have to be like really in the zone to, to get there. But I really, I'm going to go. Um, but one of the things about that is, I mean, they what they would do is get students on and then book like a really good headliner mm. and they've been really successful. So it's great. And, and she's done... Lauren's done tons of gigs locally. So I think I think there is that ethos in those who really want to do it, mm. who could then go on to do I it, think, hopefully. I think everyone stand up listening knows you just have to gig. You have to gig and gig and gig and yeah, gig. It has to be everything you want to do. Otherwise absolutely. You can't. It's just, just, you just, it's too much competition. It's, yeah. it's just impossible. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got any jokes and bits for over the years that you've um, sort of liked, but sort of never quite got to work? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this and when I used to gig, right, I used to have my set and I had my bits and I was very conservative. I was very kind of like stuck on my key bits, but I would have a bit of the act where, which would turn over. Mm. Right. And, and so, uh, the bits obviously worked, otherwise I wouldn't have kept them as, as my bits. Yeah. Occasionally I'd should judge them up a bit, change them up, move them about, mm. um, the, 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 and then I would have like more topical bits, like a section of eight, perhaps five to seven minutes of topical. And uh, bits came and went from that. But I would tend, that would be stuff I'd got get from comparing. So I would, normally wouldn't keep those in if they, if they didn't work in the first place. Actually, it was almost uh. the opposite. I remember doing a gig, I remember doing a gag about mad cow disease where I did it three times at the, uh, in comparing every time it came back in the news uh, okay. before I went, actually that's good enough to use. And the reason I didn't put it in before that was because I thought, oh, they just laughed because that's an obvious gag. Yeah. So the gag was, the gag was uh, for years and years, the government said that Macau disease couldn't be transmitted to humans. And then suddenly they come out and, and announce that maybe it could. 
And the really scary thing about that is that memory loss is one of the first symptoms, right? <laughs> it's just a really simple and actually <laughs> shit joke, but that was a belter in terms it's of getting on. It's shit, it's a good joke. Well, it, it's solid. Like, I, I just thought it was too obvious, but it, but literally I did that three, over, over a period of perhaps six months, I did that three times in the weekly club, and it was only the third time I went, oh, I should do this. You know what, sometimes I write a joke and I think, that's just too easy. Yeah. And then, and I, I will, I always try everything because... This one joke I was thinking of, just bang, every yeah. time, big laugh. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm a bit too, maybe almost too snobby w- with some bits. And I just think, oh, no, that's too easy. Yeah. But And then I say to people, like, oh, I love that joke. And it's like, yeah. you can't always take your own opinion. I completely agree. Yeah. And also, th- but talking of ones that didn't work, there was one uh, which was, uh, it was about, I can't remember it exactly because it's a long time ago, but it was about going into a... <laughs> going into a hardware shop and having to ask for something, making you, turning you into the most middle-class person on the planet, right? So, you, I mean, it's quite, you know, it's quite, it's quite, it's a decent premise, I think. Yeah. And so the thing is, you, you know, it, I think I used to do a bit of kind of act out where- As, I was, as in you mean like, as in you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what so, you're talking about. Right, yeah, so you yeah. go and you go, oh, can I have some screws, please? And they go, What's what kind of screws do you have to flower? <laughs> and then you've got a busket. Whereas if you, you know, like working class guys would go in and go, well, I have uh, half a dozen self-tapping sinkers or something, and they'd know the yeah. lingo. Yeah. So I would Did do Did you just that. make that up? Was that a thing? Yeah, I thought it's like a version of something that's real. Right, yeah. Right, I think. <laughs> uh, but then I would I would have me sort of turning into, and here's a farthing for your trouble, my good man. You know, that's <laughs> okay, ridiculously yeah, posh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did it the first time. I was, I was doing a gig, a university gig in Loughborough, I think, somewhere like that. And I was on with Felix Dexter. Do you remember yeah, Felix yeah, Dexter? Man, yeah, yeah. And he, and, and I did that gag and it got a really big laugh. And I was like, great, I've got a new bit. Mm. And then I could never make it work again. Wow. And I think what happened was the second time I did it, it didn't do it very well and it didn't get anything. And I think then I lost faith in it and I couldn't perform it. That's interesting. That's good as it could yeah. be. But also like, what's interesting about that is you said it's a student gig. So I, my instant thought as soon as you said that was, is that the right gig for that joke? Probably not. Or Probably not. is it the right one? Because maybe students don't know that stuff so then they can relate to it. Yeah, that's in true. That sense. So, yes, I love that sort of stuff. But then you say yeah. it did work the first time. It worked. The first gig was, as I say, it was definitely a student gig. I remember it really clearly. And um, and it got. So maybe they're putting themselves in your shoes. When, I think they were. Yeah. And I, 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 I can't remember any details of the second time I did it. Um, but I just know that it got nothing. And then I probably tried it a couple more times. I was like, nah, that bit's not going to work. Can't yeah, get that to work I, again. Yeah. And it was really frustrating because I knew that there was something there. Yeah. To, the way I'm looking, thinking of that is that there would definitely be a way to, to make that. Oh, definitely. Do you know I, mean? think, I, think, I think this is a weird thing about teaching it is that I think, I, I, well, I know that I understand comedy way more having taught it. Yeah. Because you start to break down those processes that you don't think too hard about mm. that become instinctive. And I think you, 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 I think you learn so much about watching somebody do something. You learn what you learn, you know, you learn when they, you see them, somebody do something brilliant. You, mm. you can, you can sort of analyze why it's brilliant. Yeah. But also you, one of the things that's really changed about how I teach, I used to try and give a load of positive feedback and really hold back on negative feedback because I, my rationale was that it's so scary doing stand up that you needed every bit of encouragement. Yeah, 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 yeah. But now I changed that completely, and and it's like we start with the premise that anything should be able to work, mm. right? And so all we're doing is objectively looking at where the laughs weren't. Mm, yeah. So if there's not a laugh there, we have to first of all examine what's the premise. 
So yeah. literally, my two classes, three-hour classes today, one of my questions to the student is, what is a premise? Mm. What, does a, what does premise mean? Yeah. Okay, and, and then... And then, so once you've analysed the premise, then it's like, well, how, how could you frame that premise to do its best effect? So it's the most surprising, the most delightful, the most hilarious. Yeah. And so it, it could, starts to become a thing where you're, it's like, yes, what you're saying is critical in the sense of you're highlighting something that didn't work, but you're doing it so that the next time it works. 100%. It, that's basically what this podcast is. Yeah. Because it, it can be just something simple like in a joke that doesn't quite work, you're saying someone did something. Yeah. But then if you suddenly change it, you did that. Yeah. You're now the person that Absolutely. the thing happened to. Huge difference. All of a sudden, big laugh. And yeah. it's crazy, those differences. Yeah. And that's what I've learned a lot from doing this podcast. I've just remembered something that's, that, that made me think of, um, how a small difference could make, could make a joke fail or succeed. I used to have a joke about, I can't remember her name, but the, the woman who died recently from the Cranberries, an Irish oh, sort of indie yeah, band. Yeah. And she had this quote about, she didn't like feminism and because, and she hated men who, who called themselves feminists because, oh no, no, she hated women who called themselves feminists because any woman who'd been with a real man couldn't call herself a feminist. And I'd say, that's such a terrible point of view because my girlfriend's a feminist, <laughs> right? And that worked. That was a joke that worked. But when I got married, my wife's a feminist. Suddenly it becomes more like old school 1970s working men's wow. club. It becomes like my wife. And because that, it becomes a joke, not at my own expense about me not being a real man, but it becomes a joke about being a henpecked guy. Yes. And it suddenly stopped working, so I had to cut it. Because of the... I could have said girlfriend, but that felt inauthentic. You know what? I had a joke. This is... In, I, oh, I wish I could... I can I remember the joke. Could we, we have to stop soon because we've got to do a sound check. But, yeah. Um, oh, what was it? It basically... It involved a mother-in-law. Yeah. And the joke, it wasn't a my mother-in-law yeah. sort of joke, but the character... It just needed to be mother-in-law to make it work. Yeah. And I got, I put it on Twitter and I had one woman go off at me on yeah. Twitter about doing mother-in-law jokes. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, you can't just never mention a mother-in-law in a joke Absolutely. again. Absolutely. But, but it's got such a kind of, that kind of, by saying it, it's a trigger. And it's, maybe that's the thing that everyone thought you would, I think so. And it changes think, the angle. And I think that would have been mid nineties. So, the working maybe, men's club thing. Maybe if I just said the mother of my girlfriend yeah. might change it. But could you yeah. say mother-in-law? Yeah. Maybe that would make a difference. I think it would. Sorry, I interrupted you. What are you no, no, that, no, absolutely. I think I think that's a really good point. I think yeah, what I was going to say was, you know, in the mid-90s, working men's club comedy was, you know, when that was king was still a very recent memory, mm. right? Mm. Because, oh, I don't know, um, you know, I mean, Les Dawson was still going till he died and he died in the early 90s. So, you know, all of that kind of wife-wife joke stuff, yeah. uh, you know, was, was still was still a thing. And I think people just thought, oh, this is really old school kind of mm. thing. But that wasn't, it changed the joke. It spoiled the joke because the joke is clearly me accidentally, tr by trying to be right on, yeah, yeah, implying yeah, yeah, that yeah. I'm not a real man. Yeah, that's, that's the joke. The joke. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that, that type funny? of thing, though. I love, like, like I think now I would have found, if I'd had that problem, I'd, I'd have had, I think, I think I have more faith in myself now. I think I didn't then. So if a joke stops working, it's like, oh, I'm terrible. Rather ah, than, yes. this is what I can fix. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. 
Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Sometimes I show students old set lists of mine, right? And... Some of them I go, I genuinely have no memory what that bit was. I have no idea. I have some no way I, of getting it some, back. Some of mine are just words. And yeah. I go, what, what, why have I put dog in? Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah. It's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what was that bit? I had no idea. So, because like in this, with this here, I've wrote, I've got a couple of bits that I couldn't get to work and I've just put, don't look right. Now, I know that's the joke. So the joke is, uh, don't look right as in physically go and look over there yeah. or he doesn't look right yeah so then i've tried i've tried and tried for different scenarios to make that yeah. wordplay work so so that was like um one of them was uh uh people that don't people that get hit by cars don't look right oh yeah that so, should work yeah but it should work but i think one it's not very nice yeah so as soon as you say hit by cars, yeah. I think some people get put off. Yeah. And then because you're saying they don't look right. Yeah. But technically, that, but that happens a lot in my stuff is that it doesn't work because of what the way it's framed. Well, there's that thing, isn't there, as well, about the, there's a thing, the puzzle element in jokes, the, mm. get, the getting and getting the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that thing, I think it's often attributed to Seinfeld. So he probably said it, but it might have been somebody else. Cause it's I, the jumping across. Dr- jumping across, across yeah. the two cliffs. Not sure we've mentioned it on here. So yeah. Okay, ahead. so the idea is that there's two cliffs opposite each other and the perfect joke means you, that they're the perfect distance apart and you can jump across and it's thrilling but you land and you don't die. Yeah. If they're too far apart, you don't reach the other side. And it's like the audience hasn't got it. It yeah, yeah. hasn't got enough information. And so it, you fall to the floor. But if they're too close together, then there's no thrill. Yeah. If it's too obvious. Yeah. And getting that just the right amount of information and no more. You, you have just said that perfectly. Because I've tried to say that to someone and I couldn't remember exactly how to frame the word in, which is almost like what we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I didn't give the people enough information when I was trying to tell them that bit ironically it's a really good way of doing it and what's 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 awful about it is i suppose like a magician you know if they if they're sleight of hand yeah they can work with a mirror or something but until they try it with an audience they're not sure whether people are going to buy the yeah, illusion yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing but it's like that it's like sometimes you know it's like there used to be a guy um who used to do a few gigs in in yorkshire um called tj murphy and he had this one joke which was brilliant which was um 
is it say it was quite deadpan it was quite in a way in your style but very deadpan yeah so his joke was is it safe to feed your kids British beef or should you wear protective gauntlets (laughs) right so you you have to do quite a lot of work to decode Mm. that you have to go oh you mean safe for you because you could get bad cow's disease just from holding it and passing it to your kids and that joke was just, I heard him tell that before I ever saw him tell it in front of an audience. I was like, I think you need a bit more than that. But I was completely wrong because I saw him do it in front of an audience more than once. And it, it was his best joke. Wow. It worked really well. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Because I find that like if I do a, just a, a new material night and because some of mine are thinkers, sometimes I don't think they're going to work, but then I'll try them in front of my state. Well, so in Edinburgh, people are, tend to come to see me because they like one-liners yeah and those jokes work really well yeah when an audience is switched on for that sort of joke yeah but sometimes i find that regular audiences that don't aren't sort of big one-liner fans it's too much for them to make the jump yeah so that can make it quite difficult knowing what jokes to do when you've got to kind of look at the gig and think okay that certain jokes are you know probably a bit too much for them or not but now when i do a normal gig i'll play on that so if i do the joke and they don't get it i'll use that and talk about it within the gig that's good but once upon a time i probably would have got rid of that joke yeah because i wasn't playing to the right crowd so now i've gone back yeah to the old but now pads. you know there's a there's an audience that yeah, that joke yeah. works for yeah and quite often i'll get people in regular gigs just sort of looking to them i see a couple just sort of looking over their shoulder talk to their friend going what was that one <laughs> but that's just I've just accepted that that's a thing now that's not because I'm but I since I know I'm good at what I do now yeah I've got the confidence to know that's fine that they don't get it yeah because I'm happy that most people have and I know it's a good joke yeah and then I try to then now I try and skillfully try and get those people in bring those people yeah. on board bring the sometimes, doubters on board sometimes people just need to be told oh you've got to think about some of these do you know what? I remember seeing Dave Gorman uh, in the 90s at a horrible, horrible, unpromising gig where they they, re- they resented even turning off the sport on the TV before it started. Oh, and there was hardly anybody there and everybody was really quiet and like it was really miserable. And I can't remember who was comparing it, but they failed to warm it up at all. And Dave went on and he started his act and he was quite a one, like clever, cerebral one-liner comedian oh, okay. at the time. Wow. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he... And he did a few jokes. Oh, no, no, what he did was, before he did that, before he started the act, he just said to them, he, he just did a load of, like, improv around the situation to the point they're really liking him, mm. transformed from a horrible audience into a viable one. And then he started doing the jokes, and they started going, huh, like that, like, yeah. contemptuously, contemptuously. And he just went to them, um, I'm not trying to trick you, they're just jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because he explained what they were doing and what they were getting wrong, mm. they then started laughing at his jokes. It was one of the most incredible things I wow. ever saw. Sometimes I find that quite posh audiences think they're, they don't like being tricked. Yeah. That's something I've found. So Guildford, yeah. I don't know why Guildford, but it's very <laughs> consistent. I've gigged there a lot. They, 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 if you do a, a joke where you sort of misdirected, they rather they go, all oh, right, yeah, yeah, see what you've done there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Rather yeah. than just relax, they, they don't like being tricked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you said about... That's quite nice that he said, yeah. I'm not trying to trick you. Yeah. They're just jokes. Yeah. That's what you're here it, for. It, but what he did was he nailed exactly what was going on. And because he'd done that, they recognised, yes, that is what we're doing. Yes, jokes are fun. Yeah, let's yeah. let's just get on board. Let's chill out a bit. And he was great. Oh, brilliant. Oh, cool. We should probably, yeah, let's call that. Thank you so much. That's brilliant.
Do you think people will remember the intro where you said where we did the whispering thing? I don't know. No, because about forty it was minutes ago, because it was literally a second ago for us. It was yeah. <laughs> time travel. Um, you, I mean, I could do it now as well. Oliver Double! Awooga! Hashtag Awooga. People are loving the Awooga. It's good. It's good to know that people producer Joel is loved by millions. What's that got to do with producer Joel? I said the, I said the first Awooga. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they love you. That, that, what are you talking about? But without me, there'd be no, there'd be no Awooga. Uh, without John Fashion, you? Yes, but people aren't tweeting hashtag Awooga in mem- thinking about John Fashion. In memory, is he dead? He's not dead, is he? No. No. But yeah, no. We say, I, I'd, I'd like to think it's our thing, Joel. Okay, yeah. Hashtag a wooga. Hashtag a wooga. Hashtag a wooga to Oliver Double, Doctor. Oh, absolutely, yeah. What a good dude. Great Very dude. Very nice. Good talker. I quite like, enjoyed listening to his voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, we've got a little bit of a nice special announcement, haven't we, Joel? Have we? Yeah. Yes. We're going to do some bonus episodes. Uh, yes. It's yeah. Christmas, it's everybody. Christmas. It's Christmas time. And there, there is, there's no need to be afraid. No, uh, it's Christmas time, and we're going to do some bonus episodes. We've got some left over from uh, Edinburgh, so we're going to put those out, aren't we, Joel? Yes. When are we going to put those out? When, when are you available to it? Oh, I'll, I'll work on them early mornings and late nights. Ah, oh, yeah. that's nice. So yeah, so yeah, so we can have a little bit some bonus episodes. Great. And normal episodes, and we're not stopping for Christmas. No, uh, we're not. No, no, we're not. What? Are we what? not? Yeah, we can. We'll keep going. Yeah, we can keep going, can't we? Yeah. What Thursdays are worse? I'm doing shows on my own, Joel. No, we'll get them all done. Yeah, yeah. I'll good. come round yours for Christmas, and we'll do intros. Oh, yeah. Very nice. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, any feedback at Jokes with Mark, and if you could leave a five star review at iTunes, that'd be very useful, and we'd love it. Um, anything else, Joel? No. See you next week. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.